For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. And welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And today we will be discussing the big geopolitical events of the week. But first, we want to let everyone know that we are on the socials. You can find us at Oakland Analytics on Instagram and on Twitter. Also, if you are a new listener or one of our original listeners, please consider just giving us a rating or a review on Apple or Spotify. Which we recently had 10 people rate on Spotify, five stars. And it Bless doesn't say you. who it was, but it we was do probably appreciate a, it. It was probably a family. They kind <laughs> of, I, I think they probably are like, all right, we're all going to do this together. Which, you know what? Thank you, guys. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. Very much so. And, and I also want to say that uh, Podchaser is still doing a re- reviews for good promotion for the month of April. Uh, we've already received a review from one of our original listeners, Morgan. So thank you so much for that. We really do appreciate it. Yeah. And so what the Reviews for Good promotion is, uh, every review we receive on the Podchaser site, which I'll link again in the show notes, uh, in the month of April, will provide $0.25 cents to World Central Kitchen, which is the nonprofit started by one of our favorite chefs, yes. uh, DC's chef Jose Andres or Jose Andres. Uh, and they're providing 300,000 daily meals to Ukrainian refugees. Mm-hmm. Uh, so also what Podchaser is doing is uh, every comment that we put on the review will bump that donation up to 50 cents. Uh, and and yeah. we will comment. Morgan, get ready for it. Yeah, get ready. We will Morgan. comment on every <laughs> review that we receive. Uh, so look for that. Look for the link in the show notes. And uh, thank you guys for doing that. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. We know everybody's busy. Everybody's got things to do. So any any time that you take to help us, or you know, the, or this promotion that they have going on, the Podchaser promotion, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, I guess we need to get into it because we have a long list of things to get through. So, honey, what is on your radar this week? Well, obviously, the uh, possible chemical weapons use that happened. Did you say chemical? Chemical, yes. <laughs> the chemical possible weapons. chemical weapons use in okay. Ukraine. <laughs> it has been a week. It's uh, it's yeah, draining it me. So let's see if we can get through this. <laughs> we can get we can get through it. I believe in you. All right, thank you. Yep. Uh, well, we've got Ukraine, which is set to join the European Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, Finland and Sweden are on track for NATO membership as early as this summer. Two of my favorite countries. <laughs> yes. Love those countries. Love those countries. Uh, Russia has warned of a major conflict with the United States. They've been saying that. <laughs> there will Sorry. be... Uh, so the the French election update, we're going to get into that. As you know from last week, we talked yeah, it's about... it's getting the, closer. Closer it's than getting much closer. right? Everybody Correct. thought Macron was going to... I mean, not necessarily win in a landslide. They knew it was going to be competitive but ooh, that yeah. that lady's coming up fast <laughs> we're going to discuss the implications of that okay 
uh, Sudan is going through an, an economic crisis, and and their the entire country faces collapse. Oh my gosh! Uh, the Israeli and Palestinian conflict continues for a year, one billion. Uh, Pakistan has ousted its prime minister. We talked about that last week, so there is an update there. We'll get into the implications of that. Okay. As well, uh, the recent Air Force simulation, which predicted a uh, Chinese victory in in the off chance that the U.S. and China get into a battle over Taiwan. I just, I just got some war games flashbacks. Yeah, we're going to talk about war games. Matthew Broderick. Come save us, Matthew, please. Come on the podcast, Matt. We'd love to talk to you. And then our history's mysteries, we will discuss Oleg Gordievsky. Uh, we'll get into okay. all of that. Well, I did good and didn't read the history's mysteries again. I know, I don't know if this one you necessarily wanted to be a secret, but I've gotten into that habit now. So, so now I don't know anything about any of these people. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Well, as always, what is the Russia-Ukraine update? So the word out of Mariupol is that Russian forces have used chemical weapons against civilians. Uh, it was reported in a telegram post by the Azov Battalion, which has been heavily involved in the fighting in Mariupol. Uh, so they said that Russian forces had dropped a quote from, and this is a quote from them, a poisonous mm-hmm. substance of unknown origin during a drone attack on the city's largest metals plant. Has any of that reporting been confirmed, though? No reputable journalist or either. You mean nobody, no journalist wants to get in the middle of this unidentified poisonous substance being held at them and to confirm it for us? Come on, guys. Well, there's also hasn't been any neutral individual on the ground. Yeah, that's uh, in, true. In Maria Pol. And by the way, I'm kidding. I don't want anyone to put their lives in danger. Like, oh my gosh. Not at all. Yeah, this not is, at all. This is not tragic. Um, it, it's It happened horrible. this week when pro-Russian separatist forces in Donetsk uh, carry out an attack. They denied carrying out a chemical attack. Mm. But Ukraine's deputy defense minister said the government was investigating the allegations, adding that early assumptions suggested phosphorus ammunition had been used. Would the use of phosphorus weapons even be considered a chemical attack? Well, the weapons, the chemical weapons convention does not classify phosphorus as a chemical weapon, Mm -hmm. but using it as an incendiary weapon near civilians would definitely be illegal. And that would add another notch on the war crimes belt for President Vladimir Putin. He's racking them up. Yeah. You know, (laughs) does this get Ukraine any closer to NATO membership, though, since they're using chemical weapons on civilians now? I mean, hello. Well, it looks like the Ukrainian government is not happy with how NATO has conducted itself during the invasion. All, all, that's also understandable. I yeah, the get biggest it. disagreement centers on that no-fly zone that yeah. has still not happened over Ukraine. Yeah, uh, NATO views the no-fly zone as an escalation of war with Russia, and they are not ready to make that call. Well, I mean, if they make that call... And they did implement a no-fly zone over Ukraine. And then all of a sudden, China's like, hey, we're going to back Russia now. And then all of a sudden, those war games we were talking about earlier come to fruition. It would definitely be World War III. So, that is no doubt. I'm, I'm, but I totally understand why the Ukrainian government isn't happy with NATO and the things that they've done to help them, well, quote, help them during this right. invasion. Okay, sorry. Went off on a tangent once again. Would you, I mean, you mentioned, 
at the beginning that Ukraine is set to join the European Union and what would be the benefit there as well, first of all, NATO? It uh, it sends a clear message to Russia <clears throat> that Ukraine has no intentions of surrendering its independence mm-hmm. and sees itself as a part of Europe going forward. Uh, you, I already you, thought it was. <laughs> yeah, they a lot do consider now, especially after the invasion. Yeah. Now, Ukraine also would benefit from the political support and solidarity of EU member states, uh, yeah. which can only help boost morale during the invasion and remind Ukrainians what they are fighting for, which is freedom. So will they be fast-tracked into the EU? Well, there's been some waffling back and forth as the oh my EU gosh. leadership. Come on, guys. I'm sorry. They, they met recently in Versailles um, mm-hmm. and rejected the plea by President Volodymyr Zelensky to quickly yeah. accept Ukraine into the EU as the war with Russia continues. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ascension process normally takes years or even decades with the candidate nation required to meet a number of EU set criteria. However, okay. earlier this week, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen and an EU delegation traveled to the UK- Ukrainian capital in Kiev. Uh, as mm-hmm. the first trip by senior European Commission officials since Russia's invasion started. Oh, okay. Uh, she did present Ukrainian President Zelensky with paperwork for his country to join the European Union. And the EU president also stated, uh, quote, we stand ready to support you in filling out this questionnaire. questionnaire. It will not be, as usual, a matter of years, but rather a matter of weeks to complete this step. I want to know what's in that questionnaire. Like, yeah. what questions are you answering to determine your your candidacy into the EU? Well, there's like, there is a lot that goes into it because the I mean, EU I so. is the the financial stability of the EU is for all countries. So if one country oh, falters, okay. that can lead to a domino effect for all so countries. So they'd be taking like the euro as their currency and stuff like that? Or? They can. Like like Poland is a part of the European Union. They do not have uh, the euro as their okay. official currency, but okay. you can put that into place. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for clarifying that because I didn't know. <laughs> and there, there might be some people out there that didn't know, like me. <laughs> so how does this process work now that Ukraine has their coveted paperwork? Well, like I said, the paperwork is a questionnaire that forms the basis of an opinion that gets passed on to the European Council. Uh, that paperwork will be submitted to the Council this summer, where they can vote to either fast-track Ukraine or not. Will they be fast-tracked like the EU president stated, though? Well, honestly, I can't see that happening right now, as the process will be stalled by the epic bureaucracy within the European Union. I don't understand why she gave him false hope. Well, you know, that's kind of... That's how politics works. That's why we try to stay out of it. Yeah, diplomacy, man. So let's talk NATO. Where do Finland and Sweden stand with joining NATO? Uh, The two countries are very close to being approved as members of NATO. Mm -hmm. Both those countries took a major step towards joining NATO this week after their prime minister's said Russia's invasion of Ukraine had changed Europe's security landscape landscape and, quote, dramatically shaped mindsets in the Nordic countries. Russia well, they were has, part, weren't they part of Russia at some point? Finland was part of Russia. They both were. They? Yes, they were part of the Soviet Union. Okay. All right. Cool. So I mean, Russia, not cool, but you know. It's not cool because <laughs> they are 
in the crosshairs of yeah. President Putin and, uh, yeah, exactly. and Russian military. Yeah. And they have warned both countries against joining NATO and would see any such move as a provocation. Oh, my now, gosh. Dmitry Peskov, which is a uh, Kremlin spokesperson, mm-hmm. he said that if Finland and Sweden entered NATO, Russia would have to, quote, rebalance the situation with its own measures. Must be nice to just be able to take everything personally. Like, jeez. <laughs> okay, sounds like fighting words. What could Russia do to, quote, rebalance the situation? Well, they would form their own alliances and plan to attack one, if not both of those countries, with the backing of nations like Belarus, China, Iran, various other pro-Soviet countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, the balance will have shifted from a debate on NATO's role in the world to war within the borders of Europe. And this is quite a defining moment in history. Would that include the United States? Well, uh, between President Biden not backing down from his statements on genocide in Ukraine and Mm -hmm. Russia warning of a major conflict with the U.S., I don't see a scenario where the United States would sit out for any period if war is declared on Europe. Uh, Russian ambassador to the U.S., Anatoly Antonov said that the U.S. is provoking Russia and said, quote, we warn that such actions are dangerous. They can lead the U.S. and the Russian Federation onto a path of direct military confrontation. So why was the genocide comment so polarizing? Well, most countries like France consider the news coming out of Washington, D.C. as dangerous and an escalation in rhetoric. Oh, okay. Uh, NATO countries still want to remain out of an all-out war with Russia, and they view Biden's comments as not helpful. Yeah. Now, Ukrainian President Zelensky has praised Biden's comments as yeah. he called Russian aggression towards Ukrainian civilians genocide. He sees it every single day. He's in the thick of it. He knows what's going on. He probably was glad that someone finally, you know, said what they felt instead of trying to, you know, hold back for the sake of diplomacy. And honestly, and that's the person we should be listening to. If you want to hear what's going on on the ground in Ukraine, you listen to Zelensky. Listen to President Zelensky. He's the president of the country. Yeah. And not just that, he's the president of the country who did not flee the country. He did not try to go into hiding. He's been in it from the beginning. But okay, everybody knows that already. So let's talk about the French elections and whether the outcome of that election will improve relations. Sure. So uh, Emmanuel Macron and uh, Marine Le Pen were Mm -hmm. the top two vote getters, as everyone had predicted, although there was a strong push made by the left party in France that pushed their candidate Jean-Luc Mélenchon into the next round of voting. Uh, That didn't happen. So we have the liberal Emmanuel Mm -hmm. Macron and Mm -hmm. the right wing Marie uh, Marine Le Pen. And what if Macron wins? Well, France stays status quo. Uh, they denounce Russia's continued invasion of Ukraine, but offer little in regards to boots on the ground in Ukraine to help push back against the Russians. Thanks, now, France. Yeah. <laughs> now, if uh, if Marine Le Pen, who's uh-huh. polling only two percentage points behind Macron right now, That's if, wild. if she were to win, it could uh-huh. offer a dramatic change in at least the foreign policy in France. So how so? Well, this week, uh, Le Pen stated that if she were to win the election, she would withdraw France from NATO. Oh, 
And once the war in Ukraine has been completed with an agreed upon peace treaty, she would force NATO into closer relations with Russia. Uh, Le Pen is trying to straddle the fence between her support of Russian President Vladimir Putin and her domestic programs that could actually win the election. Uh, Russia isn't necessarily the most popular country right now, so she's failing on that foreign policy part. That is a major understatement. Like, holy moly, she thinks she can force NATO to have a closer relationship with Russia just because she wills it so? That's nice. If only that's how things worked, right? If only. <laughs> if only. Uh, well, let's get to something really, well, I mean, obviously everything we've been talking about, nothing's been happy, but let's talk about the situation that's going on in Sudan. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Yeah, so it's been a tough year for that African nation. Mm. Uh, two separate coups have left the country in economic collapse mm-hmm. and it's people outraged. Uh, the country's been cut off from billions in foreign assistance, so the military-led government is raising prices and taxes on everything from healthcare to cooking gas. Uh, these increases have infuriated citizens. Now, mm-hmm. in 2019, Omar al-Bashir was ousted as the leader of Sudan, and a power-sharing agreement was struck between the military and civilians until uh, October 2021 when another coup ended that relationship. Oh, geez. Now, with dwindling resources and Sudan nearing the brink of economic collapse, Mm -hmm. these leaders traveled to Moscow to request help from the Russian government. Oh, don't they have all their finances tied into other things right now? (laughs) Well, yeah. Okay, so... They do. Yeah, I mean, they're having their own little economic crisis, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, But... A blockade of Port Sudan prior to Mm -hmm. the coup and barricades along a trade route with Egypt have restricted exports of goods such as uh, sesame seeds, peanuts, those sort of goods that come out of Sudan. Yeah. And uh, those bring in some those would have brought in some badly needed cash flow. Uh, Yeah. Sudan could request to purchase Russian products like oil and natural gas at a steep discount in order to subdue rising prices. Uh, the government could also find buyers for their products from Russia who was looking to alleviate the dire situation that sanctions have put that country in. That's yeah. a precarious situation to put Sudan in. Any perceived alliance with Russia could make NATO countries levy sanctions on the already very poor country of Sudan. Oh, my gosh. We will definitely keep a close eye on that. Um, are there any updates on the Israeli-Palestine conflict? Uh, yeah. Multiple Palestinians have been shot dead by Israeli police in various incidents this week. Uh, Israeli police justified the killings as self-defense, while Palestinians have called for an inquiry into the killings. And the European Union's diplomatic mission to the Palestinian territory accused Israel of using unacceptable excessive force in fatally shooting the un- at least one unarmed woman. 
what is the opinion coming out of the Jewish occupied areas in the region? Uh, it is very much a nuanced geopolitical situation. Now, Israelis consider Palestinian hatred for the Jewish state as the root cause of violence, while Palestinians express their desire to be treated as equals within the region. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be a quick fix to the conflict here, and violence is going to ramp up before a resolution is even considered. So that's just the politics of the region. That's a really sad situation. Um, speaking of politics, do you have an update on Pakistan? Because last week you mentioned they may oust their prime minister. I certainly do. So just as we mentioned, Pakistan's parliament did, in fact, oust Prime Minister Imran Khan with mm-hmm. a vote of no confidence this week. Uh, that was after a previous vote of no confidence uh, late last week was denied by Khan's supporters in parliament. Mm-hmm. The hate to hope for a no confidence vote was so intense at one point, a prisoner van was parked out front of parliament in anticipation of Khan's arrest. Oh, geez. Now, ahead of the vote, Khan repeatedly accused the United States, who doesn't, yeah. of plotting to overthrow him and said mm-hmm. he would not accept an imported government if he lost the vote. Okay. Obviously, the U.S. has denied Khan's claims. Uh, This week, Pakistan's parliament elected Shabazz Sharif, the youngest brother of three-time prime minister Nawaz Sharif, to replace the former prime minister Khan. Well, with the change in leadership, what are the top agenda items for this new prime minister? This new nepotism baby. (laughs) Yeah, well, with inflation rising, uh, the first Mm -hmm. agenda item is going to be fixing the economy. Yeah. Uh, Followed by improving relations with ally countries. Uh, it's okay. not going to be an easy task for the new prime minister. The cost of basic necessities such as food and fuel are skyrocketing, much like all over the globe. Mm-hmm. And the government's foreign exchange reserves are quickly depleting. Well, here's to hoping that he's successful with helping some of the things going on in their their economy. But now let's let's pivot. Let's go back to the US. You said an Air Force simulation predicted China would win in a war against the US. Can you please elaborate on that? And do we need to start building our nuclear bunker right now? I already started. Uh, Okay, good. Okay. All right. I'll send you the paperwork for that. I've been canning a lot lately. I've been canning uh, things a lot, so I'm prepping for the <laughs> It's It's quite interesting because the U.S. Yeah. Air Force this week mm-hmm. released details about this past fall's wargaming effort where mm-hmm. uh, pirate success mm-hmm. led to extreme loss of life and equipment while also being able to prevent a total takeover of Taiwan by confining Chinese forces to a single area. A pirate victory, but still sounds like a victory. Why would the Air Force announce a loss against China? Well, uh, yes. So it was still could be considered a victory, but the equipment being used during the war game were theoretical pieces of equipment, as many key technologies featured during the exercise are not in production or even planned for development by the Air Force. Why even make a war game with items that aren't even in development? Like what? (laughs) Ultimately, it's a funding issue. Okay. Uh, this would give the Air Force an opportunity to see where they are lacking in technologies. They would then Everywhere. bring that. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes. Uh, take it from me. It is across the board. It's all over uh, the place. But they can then bring that information mm-hmm. to Congress 
And with that information from the war game, have Congress fund those new technologies. Okay, that does make more sense. Yep. Then the military can then use that funding to improve its overall capabilities. Uh, With those improved capabilities, the U.S. would theoretically stand a much better chance of defeating China in the very real possibility that they would invade Taiwan. Okay, I see. So the war game actually has two benefits, getting a sense of how the war would play out while also providing the U.S. government with its military's shortcomings. Exactly. Sorry, had a little swallow some spit there, but (laughs) you are right. Uh, It's not just about winning and losing. It's about how military leaders will react in conflict and also how the U.S. military's equipment would hold up against an adversary's defense. So as of right now, it doesn't look good if China invades Taiwan. Uh, It certainly does not. But this month, the Air Force will send its first spending request to the Biden administration. I put a good bit of money that they're going to get everything they ask for, especially with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Well, yet another news story to keep an eye on. Um, I believe it is time for History's Mysteries. Why don't you hit me with this week's historical figure, please, sir? Of course. This week, we will discuss Oleg Antonovich Gordievsky, a former colonel of the KGB who became Mm -hmm. bureau chief in London and also became a double agent, providing information to the British MI6 from 1974 to 1985. Oh, okay. Now, Gordievsky joined the Foreign Service and was sent to East Berlin in August 1961. This was just before the erection of the Berlin Wall. Okay. The building of the wall actually appalled him, and he became disillusioned with the Soviet system. Hmm. After spending a year in Berlin, he returned to Moscow. He then joined the KGB in 1963, and was sent to the Soviet embassy in Copenhagen in 1966. Another favorite place of mine. Yes. Uh, Copenhagen another fun is so place cool. to travel to. Yeah. Now, well, I was, yeah, sorry. sorry, go. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. I was about to go off on a tangent about when we went there, but I'm not going to do that because it was about exactly what you think I was going to talk about. Okay. We'll leave that for another day. Yeah, we'll leave that for another day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in his time in Copenhagen, he became outraged uh, by the Soviets' crushing of the Prague Spring Reform Movement in Czechoslovakia Mm -hmm. in August of 1968. And that got him to begin sending covert signals to Danish and British intelligence agents and agencies that he was telling them he'd be willing to cooperate with those agencies. Well, can you elaborate? Elibor- <laughs> Let me say elaborate. Elaborate on the Prague Spring. Yeah, so the Prague Spring was a mass protest mm-hmm. in the Czechoslovak Socialist Republic, uh, which mm-hmm. began on 5 January in 1968. Continued- hey, remember when we had a mass protest on January 6, 2021? Yeah. Do y'all remember that? Do you January remember that? seems people- to be a time to. People are like, new year, new me. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now that continued until August 21st of oh, that wow, same year. Oh wow, that's a long time. Wow. And that was when the Soviet Union and other Warsaw Pact members invaded the country to suppress the reforms. Oh gosh. Okay, so he was upset with the way the Soviet Union handled the protests. Got it. 
Exactly. So in uh, 1974, he agreed mm-hmm. to pass secrets to MI6. Uh, he then learned to speak English and lobbied heavily for a position that opened up in London, to which the KGB posted him in London in June of 1982. Mm-hmm. After that, he was quickly recalled to Moscow and feared for his life. Uh, but the UK put plans together to exfiltrate from Moscow if his life were to be in danger or if he were to be arrested. Well, what happened there? Did he get arrested or did he escape? Well, on July 19th of 1985, Gordievsky went for a morning jog, but he instead managed to invade his KGB tails and boarded a train to Vyborg, which is near mm-hmm. the Finnish border. Mm-hmm. And that's where he was met up by, uh, met with by British embassy cars. Uh, oh, after okay. they, those cars actually managed to lose three separate KGB surveillance cars that were following them. Oh, wow. Now, this escape plan was codenamed Operation Pimlico, and the British agents actually stuffed Oleg into the trunk of a Ford Sierra sedan, which is just a small mm-hmm. four-door sedan. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they did make it across the border safely. Most European cars are real <laughs> right. small, so that had to be really snug in there. <laughs> no doubt. So, is he still alive? Well, uh, as of right now, he certainly is. Um, Even though there have been a few attempts at poisoning him. Uh, Just because they're mad. Yes. Now, he lived for years in a safe house in London with extremely tight security. Well, what contributions did his information make in the world of geopolitics? So two of Gordievsky's most important contributions were, Mm -hmm. uh, one was averting a potential nuclear confrontation with the Soviet Union. Uh, Maybe we need him back. Well, yeah, here we go. When uh, it was a NATO exercise was misinterpreted by the Soviets as a potential first strike. And um, so he also was around to identify Mikhail Gorbachev as the Soviet heir apparent long before he even came to prominence. Oh, wow. So the information passed by Gordievsky became the first proof of how worried the Soviet leadership had become about the possibility of a NATO nuclear first strike. Well, sounds like they're gunning to be the ones to make the first strike now. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty fitting history's mysteries for where we are right now. Yeah, it's history really does repeat itself, guys. Uh, We can see that with the Soviet Union that the mm-hmm. Soviet Union was concerned all those years ago about a nuclear-capable NATO alliance, and that concern remains in modern-day Russia. Well, is there anything else for this week? After that, I think we are out of time. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, well, as always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. As we mentioned in the beginning, head over to Apple or Spotify Podcasts and give us a review because those help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please subscribe to our community at oakwindanalytics.com. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.